Grace Community Church. Hey y'all, we're the Burgess family, Fran, Adley, Janice, and Shay, and we're back in Papua New Guinea. And we miss you all terribly, especially you right there. Yep, right there in the front row. And we just want to give you a short update of uh, our life back here in Papua New Guinea and uh, what we would call the new norm. Come kiss in light, pull up, pull up true. Come kiss in life, old time, old time. Come kiss in life, love from heaven, heaven. Come kiss in life. Stop long valley. You stop long island. Or you stop long numbers. Or you come, come, Lord Jesus. You stop long mountain. Or you stop long valley. You stop long island. Or you stop long numbers. Or you Good morning. That's loud. Great to see uh, Fran and Janice back in PNG and that they have um, settled in there and doing better. I think I'll come here for the first part. And, um, and the kids are making friends. You know, that was a big prayer request when they went. Y'all you know, remember praying about that. So see, seeing them run with all those other kids and, and uh, reconnecting with their dog, that was good. 
So it's great to see them there now, and uh, I think I just want to stop and pray for them. Didn't plan to, but the Lord just touched my heart to pray for them before we start this morning. Father, I do thank you for Fran and Janice. I thank you for their commitment to you and their desire to serve you. I thank you for getting them back safely to their home in PNG, and um, Lord, helping them to settle into the life there, ministry there, relationships there. And uh, Lord, we miss them, but we know they're your servants, and uh, Lord, that they're serving you there and touching many lives. And we just pray for Fran as he flies, uh, landing on these grass strips like we saw in the film, and uh, Lord, just doing some amazing things with airplanes. I just pray you'd watch over him and give him wisdom, Lord, and skills and, and uh, safety. And uh, Lord, a clear mind as he flies and good health. So we commit him to you in his ministry and for, uh, for uh, Janice teaching and uh, the children at home and all that she's doing. So we commit them to you. Thank you for our partnership with them in the gospel. And we pray that you'd open many doors of opportunity for them, Lord, to serve you. And we uh, commit, it to, commit them to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, we welcome you to our service this morning. As you can tell, we've got a, a little bit of a different service. As Dad's been going through the foundations and pillars of grace, um, he's come to the second pillar. Last week, he talked about the Word of God, which was the first pillar. And in it, you remember, he asked us, how much do we value the Word of God? And I trust that you've thought about that this week. And as you've been reading through Proverbs and uh, texting Thad, as I did this week, and uh, talking to him about some insights, that uh, you've thought about that. How much do we value the Word of God? And uh, so that's, that was the first pillar. Today we look at the second pillar of um, grace, which is missions. And, and for us, we thought, you know, we do a missions conference in March, but we thought, well, we, we really need more than that. <laughs> so Thad and I were talking, and, and Eddie, and, and we began to think, why don't we do a mission emphasis from within? and call up our own people and talk to them about why they're involved, what they do, how they're engaged, and, and uh, how they do what they do. And so that's what this uh, hour is about today. Sunday school hour, educational hour, they were discussing the same topic of missions, and I thought Kevin did a great job, didn't he? If you were here during the Sunday school hour, it was great. And uh, yeah, thank you. Um, we had a great breakfast before that, which we want to thank all those ladies, Luann and all the, late, the berry that cooked all those pancakes, <laughs> everyone who set the tables up, so just a word of thanks to them too. But so far this morning, we've had a really, I think, enlightening time just um, having this forum come up. Uh, they discussed the mandate for missions to go into all the world, make disciples. We talked about it being a core value of our church. Uh, we talked about the blessing it is to be a part of a mission-minded church. And, um, and we talked, it was time of sharing about how we can uh, be more involved and support missions and engage in them more, raise our family to be more missional in our thinking. And uh, there was a great invitation given, I thought, to invite the missions committee, to come on board of the missions committee. Um, you know, I think there's a disconnect a little bit in churches today be between the younger generations and the older that missions is what the old people do. Missions, you know, they've taken care of it, it's running smooth, let's leave it alone. And that's not the case. We're, we're all called to be engaged in missions. And, um, and I like the last part where Melinda brought up uh, the, the, the thought of individuals uh, giving to missionaries or churches giving to missionaries through a missions program. And we need both. But I, I, I had the thought, you know, if we're not supporting our missions program here at the church, then we're not supporting the pillar itself, really, within the body. So we're denying ourselves of fellowshipping together to support. We can't bring missionaries in. We can't support missionaries as a whole. I mean, it's a whole program that goes on within the church that's vital to the church. So it's very important that we also support our missions program within the church as well as, you know, individually. So now we want to turn in our service to... Um, 
to build on the discussion from the education hour to talk more about missions being a pillar and uh, how it can change our lives. The more we are engaged in it, the more our lives change, I promise you. <laughs> because you can't outgive God. And the more we give, the more we serve, the more we surrender to Him, the more He uses us to touch lives in our personal evangelism and in, in the mission that we're all called to be a part of. And also just to think about a little deeper about how it benefits us spiritually, uh, how it impacts lives for eternity and brings God much glory. So I'd like to ask that forum that we've uh, asked to come up. They're all different but Thad. Thad, we had to have Thad back up. He's the pastor, so he's got a permanent seat. You want the same seat, Thad? You going to be all right? Oh, okay. <laughs> and as they're coming up, I had a thought. <clears throat> I'm going to get over out of the way a little bit. I had a thought of this. If you've ever gone on a short-term mission trip, or you've ever served in some capacity in a ministry team locally, like at the Grace House or, you know, one of the ministries we support here, please stand up and stay standing just a minute. Okay? So these are short-term trips, gone to a foreign country or any ministry locally. If you've ever gone, um, <clears throat> if you've ever served on the commissions committee here in our church, you're serving now, or you ever have served, please stand up. Okay? And if you've ever had a, hosted a missionary in your home and got to know him personally, please stand up. Anybody else? Okay, there's a few more. Okay, so I want you all, if you're seated, I want you to look at these people and remember these people. Because these people are a great resource for our topic today. If you have any questions, you're thinking about going on a trip or hosting a missionary or getting on the missions committee or any part of that, then go to one of these people and ask them about it. And they'll, they'll, have, they'll have the answers or they'll get the answers for you. Okay, so these are our resource people in our church when it comes to missions. It's not just the missions committee, but it's, it's a lot of people. Okay, thank you. Y'all can be seated. Thank you for your service. I don't think I really need to introduce our, our panel. <laughs> uh, I was kind of thinking of Ark Linkletter. You remember that old show? Y'all don't even remember that, do you? <laughs> Kids will say the darndest things, you know? <laughs> what was the name of that show? I can't remember. Huh? Kids will say the darndest things. Yeah, I guess that was it. Okay. No, no reflection, Thad, but I'm going to start with you. <laughs> so I think we all pretty much know your testimony that you grew up in, in church was saved at an early age. But what I was thinking is, was that church missional? Were you engaged in missions there? Was it a pillar of that church? So, I've had time to think about that question. And um, so in the beginning, I thought, well, I could say, yeah, Lake Charles Bible Church was missional, involved in missions, and they were but not to the level that, that grace is. Um, and I would say the distinction would be that their focus was primarily on Jerusalem, right? The Acts 1-8, um, you shall be my witnesses. I mean, that's a big word there because he's, he's not inviting them to a party. He's saying, you're going to be my martyrs. That's what he's telling them. Now, if you're one of those guys, you're going, well, all righty, Right? But then he tells them, hey, look, um, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Right? And that was the key. So um, I think Lake Charles Bible Church was definitely missional, but it focused really on the local, you know, the local, and which was fine. But I would have to give credit to my mom and dad 
um, which is really awesome. I was thinking through this. I shared a little bit the first hour, but didn't get into the detail. I will now, but my mom and dad were missionaries with International Students Incorporated. Now, the best part about that was their base was in Colorado Springs. <laughs> so have you ever been out west and you've been to Colorado? It's absolutely beautiful. And um, so from the time I was about eight years old, seven, eight years old, um, all the way through school, my parents were missionaries, right? I mean, they both had jobs. My dad was a, a school teacher and counselor. My mom was a school teacher. So when it came to report cards, I had no chance, right? But, um, but they were, they were missional-minded, and, and they, they did it. And so I was thinking, man, how blessed was I to be involved with International Students Incorporated and from a very young age, and um, that's how I learned to play ping pong. Because when we went to the, uh, to the student union place, I mean, they were all Asian, a bunch of Asians there. And Asians can play ping pong. So that's why I learned to play ping pong. But looking back, as I was thinking about that this week, I was like, man, Lord, I was so blessed to have two parents that were focused on missions. So that's what I grew up with. And so Lake Charles Bible Church, while it was <coughs> missional-minded, I give credit to my parents who were godly and who wanted me to have a mission mind. So, so yeah, the church was... But my parents were, and I encouraged, just like I did the first hour, it starts in your home. That's where it starts. And I would encourage you, I was speaking, I think, with Eddie afterwards, even if it, it looks like, wow, this is a big mission program that we have here at Grace. There's 37 missionaries. I can never know them. Start with one. Hmm. Right? Just start with <clears throat> one family and make that a part of, of your family. Make them a part of your family. That's, that's a big deal. So... I would say yes, they were in answering your question, but I think my mom and dad were, they had the, it was a bigger picture for them. Mm. I know in the um, previous hour we talked a lot about, or some about trends, and as you were talking I was wondering, um, is the trend away from missions in the Church of America, or towards missions, and are we unique in our desire to recognize it as a pillar? What do you think as a pastor? Yeah, so I think that in terms of it being unique, the way we do missions here, very unique. Um, obviously, many of us know how the Baptist Church does missions, and that's great. But what they miss out on is like Bob and Judy Ambrosius are right back there. Hmm. Right? Stand up, Bob and Judy. Missionaries to the Philippines. Missionaries to the Philippines. Yeah. Right. And the Cranks are here, Joy and Joshua. Huh? Joshua and Joy Cranks. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where we're able to get to know these guys personally and be able to engage them here while they're with us, and then if we do trips. So I think the trend away from a missions mindset, I, I see it more maybe there's not as much emphasis on the foreign as there is locally. I just think there needs to be balance. I think we just need to do what God says. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. It's like, it's, I almost think like the Lord said, hey, I gave it to you. Uh, just follow the pattern, right? Follow the blueprint. And so that's why all of us can be involved. Because all of us can't go around the world, but all of us can be involved in missions. And that starts right in your home and with your next door neighbor and neighborhood. And just look around your neighborhood this morning. How many people are just not going to church at all? So our mission is like right here. It starts in our Jerusalem. And the great part about it is 
all of us can be involved and the spirit of the living God is in you if you know him. And so mm. you get to be doing that on a regular basis. So. Mm. Mm. so if missions is a pillar of the church, not just our church, then how important would it be, you know, that we continue to recognize it as a pillar and ho- encourage other churches, you know. I mean, that, the trend is a way it looks like. Yeah, you know? so I think it's very vital that we continue to have that as a pillar, not because we made it up, but because the Lord gave it to us. It's crystal clear. The Scripture tells us, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. You, know, you guys can go home and read that, but if you need to familiarize yourself with it, but it's very critical that we continue to have that as one of our pillars here at Grace. And by, listen, it comes in the order, like last week's the Word of God, how much do we value the Word? Well, we're committed to missions. That's how much we value the Word. And then there'll be others that we add to that, and all of them, they aren't made up. We didn't make these up. They come from the Word of God. So um, in terms of other churches, I think one of the... uh, it's pretty awesome to think about how um, at Thomas Beaver's <clears throat> church, you know, we've been able to help them, uh, New Rising Star. I mean, they really didn't have that whole emphasis, and they just sent a team to England. So, like, and, and, and we are indirectly involved in that, so how cool is that? I mean, mm-hmm. you guys, all of us are indirectly involved with that, and so I just thank the Lord for Thomas for his willingness to open himself up in a different culture, right? Because that, that culture there is really a lot on the Jerusalem, but to extend that from the Jerusalem all the way to the uttermost parts for that church was a big deal. So mm-hmm. I think the more that we can be involved in helping other churches see that, that would be awesome too. Mm. Amen. So I'm going to our, uh, our prettiest uh, member of the team up here. And uh, that, no offense, guys, but Emily. So, Emily, you've, uh, you've been to England, what, about four times? Yep. Tell me about times. it. How did that, how did that uh, happen? How old were you when you, when, when you took your first trip? And then, and then I wanted to ask, um, um, how did you know that you were supposed to go? And just a little information about those trips. Yeah. Okay, so I was 20 the very first time I went, so it's 2015. <clears throat> and I didn't know if I was supposed to go. This was right around the time that the church had been, they were starting to, do more mission trips and so I remember you specifically coming up and like walking through like a couple of trips that the church was planning and I had personally always wanted to go to England and so you said that and I was like that sounds like fun and so I remember going to the meetings and listening about it and I was like that would be really cool but it was one of those things where I was in school I'd only been out of high school for a couple of years and I was like I'm really poor I don't really have the money to go to England but I kept going to the meetings and I kept praying about it and I decided that it was one of those things where if the money came in, if the time came in, if it worked out in, for me to go, then it was meant for me to go. And if it didn't work out, then it wasn't meant for me to go. And so about like a month-ish, I don't know, probably sooner than that, but it all fell together. And I was like, I'm going to England. And yeah, so it just kind of, I kind of prayed about it. And I was like, if the doors open, then I'm going to go. And that's pretty much it. Did you consider, um, do you have a skill set or how could you help? Or were those thoughts that went through your mind or were you just like, God, you're opening this door, I'm going to go. Or, or did you think about that? Um, I went into this being like, I am in no way prepared to do this. <laughs> and um, it was one of those things where, I don't know, I just, 
I knew I was like, if God wants me to talk to someone, then he's just gonna give me the words for it. And I think that gave me a lot of peace because I was like, I'm not doing this. Like he is speaking through me and he's gonna be the one that makes the impact. I'm just the vessel. And so I think that gave me a lot of peace going into it. But granted, I'll tell you, even this past summer when I went for the fourth time, I was still terrified because door-to-door evangelism is scary, y'all. Like that's real scary, especially when you've had the door slammed in your face a couple times and people are really nice and then they find out why you're there talking to them and they're immediately like, please stop. And it's just, you know, maybe they don't take it in then, but maybe like the next day or they'll start thinking about what you said and maybe it'll hit them then. And for me, it's one of those things where you just kind of like plant the seed and like that's all you can do. But I don't know. I went into this being like I am very unprepared, but I just went into it knowing that God's going to use me in the way that he needs me to. And Mm. that's all I can do. I just have to be willing to step out of my comfort zone to just do what he wants me to. Can I piggyback on that? I would just give credit to the Lord that um, most of the time, Emily and I were together when we went door to door, and um, sh- the Lord used her in a tremendous way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like she was probably scared and nervous, just yeah. like me. I mean, I told her I'm scared to <laughs> we were death. Both very nervous. <laughs> but but she did a great job. So, mm-hmm. Lord just used her in a great way to communicate, especially with the women we came in contact with, where she had that just clear, open door that I didn't have right away. So. Mm-hmm. Lord used her in a great way. Mm. Yeah, I think that story could be uh, repeated by a lot of people that stood up that have gone on trips to where, you know, the opportunity is there. So I wrote this down in my notes. Would you agree that God uses opportunity and responsibility in tandem to mobilize his people more than some spiritual God speaking to you or calling you? You know, it seems like that's what you're saying is that you saw the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where like people want to go on mission trips and they're like, oh, going to England or like Bolivia or like anywhere like that sounds really cool. But then they think like, oh, I have kids or I have a full time job or like I'm in school and you come up with like all these excuses as to why you can't go. And you're like, well, I mean, I'm giving to the church, which is fantastic. You should absolutely do that. But it's one of those things where you're like, if God opens the doors, then like go for it. Like maybe God's giving you these savings and this is what you're supposed to do with them. Or if it's one of those things where you don't have the money, pray about it. And like the money will come in because a couple times my second trip, I really wanted to go back. And I was like, I really don't think I'm going to have the money for it. I was in nursing school, which is super expensive. And like the money came in and I was like, all right, I'm going again. And it's just one of those things you've got to have faith. Like if he wants you to go, then you're going to go. And he does call us to go. So, and I think it's one of those things where you make the biggest impact in people's lives, or for me personally, it's when you're out of your comfort zone. Like, we, God gives us all of these amazing gifts to use to share his word with people, but I think, for me personally, the biggest impact I think that people have made in my life and I've made in theirs is when I'm out of my comfort zone. And that's when I'm walking in the street and I'm inviting people to barbecues thrown by Americans on the 4th of July because that gets people's attention. And I just, yeah, no, that's that's a fun time celebrating the 4th of July in England. We're the ungrateful colonials, but it's fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, you know, I think you just have to go into it being like, God's got this. And if he wants me to go, then it'll happen. And you just have to be open to it. You don't look at yourself and be like, well, I have kids or I'm in school or a full-time job. Don't let those be the things that stop you from going so, out to the mission So you just, field. you kind of came, became addicted to... I to really did. I like, I'd always wanted to go to England. And so that first time going, I was like, this is a dream because honestly, what better reason to go? And then, you know, getting to do all the touristy stuff is fun too. But then after that, I was like, not going to England yeah. in the summer is weird to me because now it's just yeah. become part of my life. And Do you think too, I, I just was thinking as you're talking, it's like, it's an addiction kind of, but then it's yeah. also not the trip and 
and seeing God move and bringing in the money and doing all the different things that take place involved in these trips because it's a faith-building experience every time that we get to go. But it's, we always think we're going to go and do something. We're going to help somebody. Oh, yeah. We're going to make a difference. But who changes? Oh, we yeah. do. So oh, isn't that what happens? I mean, it's it really a, it, is. because you're, you're, not, you're just in a position being completely surrendered and you're like just take me and use me and then you see how God can use you huh? yeah you go into this trip and you're like I'm gonna meet some like random person on like the street and you're gonna I'm gonna bring them to the Lord and it's gonna be like <laughs> the angels start singing and then that I mean granted that can happen but that's normally like it doesn't happen how you think it's going to happen but for me it was one of those things where like the people that I met like the people that were already in the church in England like the relationships I've built with those people that like I'm now like one of my closest friends the woman that I stayed with the very first year she's only a few years older than me her name is Jenna and I absolutely adore her she's essentially like my older sister and we call each other our sisters from across the pond but like it's the relationships you build with the people that you meet over there because they live life so differently than what we do over here and it's just it, you go into it thinking you're going to change someone else's life, and in reality, it's, it's the opposite. The way mm. that they work on you and how you see things, I think that's the biggest mm, thing that always. happened to me. Yes. Yeah. So, Aaron, um, you've been on a number of trips, as I shared, and we talked there that day. You came by my office, and we were talking in uh, Romania quite a few times in Belize with us years ago. Uh, tell me about your first trip and, and how that came about and just some of the experiences that you've had. My first foreign trip? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, well, I started off, I think, just like uh, like a lot of uh, new Christians, you know, pretty jacked up about, uh, you know, kind of grabbing hold of the gospel and it making sense to me. Going door to door here, um, uh, going to Southside on the weekends, handing out tracks, sharing the gospel, and got uh, invited to go to... Um, Romania, I don't, do not remember. I think it was like 2001. I think I took my first trip to Romania. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, getting there, meeting uh, these, these people. I, I, I think um, it, it was really my first experience in kind of grasping this, the, this internet or this global body of Christ, how the, the immediate connection I had with these people that I'd never met before that didn't even speak the same language as I did. Um, it was a little overwhelming just to, I mean, in a good way to, mm. to feel this closeness, these people that, you know, they, you know, didn't have any money. A lot of them are really mm. extremely poor. Mm. Um, maybe had a few chickens and they're killing their, their animals for me to eat. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I think, um, uh, I don't remember exactly what you asked, but uh, one of my first experiences, the, the, one of the experience, one of my first trips that really sticks out is um, uh, going to this kind of rem more remote part of Romania, uh, it's a real small town, uh, small hostel in, in this uh, town. Stayed there overnight, had some, you know, kind of vivid dreams about um, sharing the gospel and people getting saved. and. I was pretty excited about you know, mean the day to literal come. dreams, not just thoughts you had. No, yeah, just literally, I, I literally yeah. woke up, remembered this vivid dream. Hmm. Um, so we went out uh, to this village where there's no gospel witness, um, handing out tracts and candy, and this the the method that uh, the people that I was with were, was using was we're handing out tracts, handing out candy, and saying, "Come here, what the Americans have to say at such and such's house." They, 
the, the missionaries, the local missionaries there would establish a relationship with somebody in that village, start a Bible study, and just get, you know, one or two people interested. And then we were inviting the whole village out to that house. And, yeah, we basically presented the gospel, nothing fancy. Um, none of us were eloquent speakers. Um, just, uh, just a straightforward gospel presentation. And everybody in this house you know, raise their hand to receive Christ. And it, the, to the point where the guy that I, I was with was asking people, you know, or asking the translator, hey, you sure they're grasping what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, because um, mm-hmm. it was just unusual. I mean, it was unusual for us. It was unusual for the, the missionaries mm-hmm. there that working with these people for there to be such a reaction. But they ended up taking up an mm-hmm. offering that night. I mean, you're talking like you're talking about two or three hundred people. Well, uh, I mean, I don't. Crowd. It, it would it appear, It was probably about seventy or eighty people. Okay. I mean, it was a small uh-huh. house, but it was packed. There's people outside with the windows open, oh, okay. listening. So uh, that was a uh, that was an experience that yeah you know, I always remember. Yeah. Um, it was one of my first experiences in that country, mm. uh, and just seeing how receptive. You know, people work Share with them the story too about the, the time you went, maybe been right after that, but about you sharing the gospel with that guy that didn't speak English. Oh, uh, well. That was an interesting story too. I thought <coughs> well, it's actually, I wasn't sharing the gospel. And this guy was, this, he was a Christian there, established Christian, one of the missionaries working in this place, but he did not speak English, um, never took any classes. Um, his brother, yeah, went off to Bible college and um, learned some rough English. Um, that's how I, who I stayed with and, you know, kind of how I made my way mm. is through him until I started picking up the language. But um, his brother Alex, uh, we went out, we prayed a few times. Um, we would, there's this city called Dragonesh where there's not a church and they had a burden for this city. It was small, maybe 30,000, 40,000 people. Um, there's a hilltop over the city and we'd go up there and we'd pray. And um, after, you know, this one of this first week or so of praying with him, he wanted to start coming with me and he was in he was, you know, encouraging me in English to share the gospel with people. Let's go out and share the gospel. So we're sharing the gospel I'm sharing the gospel with people in English and he's translating for me. And I didn't really grasp or understand until later that I mean, he, would, he was very emotional talking about it, would weep talking about it, but he didn't speak English, and he didn't know it. I mean, it was a, a miracle for him to be able to understand what I'm saying mm. and to be able to translate what I was saying. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, I was shocked because I just assumed yeah. that he, you know, That was a lot of years ago, but that seemed yeah. like yesterday, huh? Well, that's the way <laughs> tongues is supposed to be used, I think, so that's good. <laughs> Gift of tongues. Yeah. So I had, a, I had a question for kind of the group, and then I'm going to go to Jordan, but... Uh, because I have a, a line of thinking I want to get with you, Jordan. But, um, so are you familiar with the term culture shock? You know, there's a book out there titled that, uh, actually about a, a missionary in Venezuela. That's a really good book. But um, when I say culture shock, I'm thinking, like, what, was, what are some of the experiences you might have had that early on, especially going to another country and seeing culture shock? And I want to share a little quick story about mine because it sticks in my mind so vividly. But in 1984, and it's leading up to Jordan, uh, the Lord worked it out. There was a missionary working with Dean and Linda in Bolivia named Cesar Cubas. And he came to the States and shared about his ministry. He was a national from Peru, but he worked in Bolivia with South American Mission and Dean Self and their family. So when he shared, 
1984, so Jordan, I think you were about nine, ten years old. Um, it was at Grace Bible Church where I was going to church years ago. And I stood up to leave, and I, I was really listening, you know, right on the edge of my seat. I was listening about Dean and Linda and what was happening in San Matias on the edge of the jungle. And when I stood up to leave, a friend, a brother, came up and put his arm around me. And um, he said, I can tell you really want to go down there and see Dean. And I'd never been to the mission field, never been internationally anywhere. And I said, man, I'd love to, but I have no money, <laughs> no paid vacations, no way to get away. You know, it's just not going to happen. And this brother put his arm on me. I'll never forget. He said, Dave, if you'll trust God for the money uh, to go down there, I'll trust him for the money to pay your bills while you're gone. And it wasn't a lot of money back then, but still, I mean, that was huge. So I just kind of, wow, that's amazing, you know. So the Lord raised the money. Just like Emily said, he always does if he wants you to go. And I went down, and uh, I, the, the closer we got to Bolivia, the less um, English that Cesar spoke. Okay, he's, he's from Peru, so he speaks more and more and more Spanish. We stopped in Panama. He's all Spanish. We get to Bolivia, and uh, the first thing he wants to do is take me to, to lunch. So we go into the kitchen of the restaurant to see some of his friends. <laughs> you some island, Josh? Because <laughs> there's meat hanging everywhere with flies. You know, it's just hanging with flies and the butchering and all the stuff going on. And he's got, <laughs> and nobody's speaking English. And uh, it was like, that was my first, first cultural experience. It actually happened, it started in Miami at the airport. And I've never been to Miami. That's where it started. And then, <laughs> and then, and then lunch down there. And then not knowing any of the language, completely oblivious to any Spanish at all. And I'm still not very good at it, but it was horrible. And we went to the restaurant, and he ordered my meal. And I didn't know what it was. But he ordered it, and I started eating it. And then he told me, cow tongue. <laughs> cow tongue. So it was horrible. So, you know. And then we rode, a, we rode a train for 18 hours on this old 1940 Pullman. The only thing keeping the jungle away from the train was the train going down the track. You remember that track from, from San Matias down to Robere? There he put me like a package on a, on a 1960 uh, uh, DC-3 tail dragon 2-prop two, two, uh, plane. We took off, and when I landed at the dirt strip, Dean and Linda, Jordan, Josh, and Janice and the family were there standing on the side of the dirt strip waiting to pick me up. And all of that was, was my first trip. And, but, you know, the thing that I remember, too, is that when I got there, I began to go out with Dean, door-to-door -door evangelism, sharing the gospel best I could, handing out the literature he told me to hand out, things like that. And <clears throat> the, the huge amount of insecurity that I had because of the smells, the sounds, the dress. I mean, Bolivia was so foreign from America, you know, so different. And all that insecurity quickly faded away, just went away, and was replaced by this huge desire to win people to Christ. I mean, it was just all about. And to hear Dean, I wrote it like this, I want to read it to you. To hear Dean, because I remembered it, every day he would say, Dave, look around. Everywhere you look, they're lost. Everywhere you look. And I was thinking about that when we went to Thailand last, a couple years ago. And in Thailand, millions, millions, everywhere you look, they're lost. Remember that? That feeling is just so humbling. <laughs> so I want to ask the group, what were some of y'all's? Do you have something like that? Hold off, Jordan, because you're different. <laughs> I'm going to get to you in a second. <laughs> Anyone want to share a story like that or something that shocked you about it? Even England would, must have been a shock in a way. Yeah. David, I think the first time I went to Belize in 92, um, when, I got, when I finished preaching, um, for the people to say, keep preaching. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you didn't want to come home, did you? <laughs> well, I was like, wow, Lord, here's the church. Um, but they're so hungry for the word. And Phil's stories, you know, he was my pastor in New York, and he was a missionary in Belize and um, before he went to New York State and um, to be a pastor. But he would tell me stories, and George has told me some of these stories too. These people walk, walking for miles mm. to come and hear the Word of God. Mm. And then I'm thinking American culture, if it's 1145 and the roast is on, that you need to stop talking. Mm -hmm. So it just is one of those things where you get in there and you're like, these people are just hungry for the word. That doesn't mean they don't get hungry physically, but that was a shock to my system that they just wanted you to keep teaching. I know George experienced that too in Belize. And mm. it's just one of those things that you come back and you go, man, we are spoiled rotten. <laughs> Everything's contained within one hour and a half. And if we push the button either side, it's like you've committed the cardinal sin. And it's like, I mean, one of the things the Lord has been teaching me, this is off the subject, but is I just need to relax in Him. And that means that I'm not concerned about what people think mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, my responsibility is to teach God's Word. So if it happens for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, that's up to the Lord. Mm. That's not up to me. So I, that was my first culture shock was just the insatiable desire that these guys had mm. to hear God's word. That mm. was awesome. You know, the, it, it's true that other cultures, and Bob and Judy can surely testify to this, and, and Joy and, and Joshua Crank, they're here, because in other cultures, time isn't the same. Body space isn't the same. You're going to be pushing and shoving against people constantly, and that's okay. And, but time is different. I remember Dean and I would go to, a, to an open forum with a thatch roof or something, and we're having a meeting at 6 or 6.30 or 7 or something. <laughs> yeah, they'll show up eventually. So, so time doesn't mean the same thing it does in America. When you say a certain time, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, anyone else like to share? You too. Anyone? Yeah, Emily? Um, for me, it was, I, I don't know, England you don't think about it. it's not like Bolivia it's not like dirt roads and stuff like it's it's England it's it's like us except everything's just much smaller mm. um but for me I think it came the fact that I live in the south we live in the bible belt we live where there's like churches up and down the road right. and everyone's a Christian right, everybody yeah. loves Jesus everybody's you always see people wearing shirts with bible verses and everyone's like god bless you and all that other stuff and I can pretty much guarantee you that every child in this church has grown up watching veggie tales and you go over there and they don't have that and you they like the church has like one Veggie Tales DVD, and that's what the kids watch. So, like two weeks out of the month, and they don't have stuff like we do. And granted, I know our Lifeway just closed, but we normally have Lifeway and like all that other stuff. And like if we need like you know Veggie Tales stuff or anything else to like teach the kids, we just go to Walmart or we go to Lifeway or we order it off Amazon. And they don't have that over there, and that was weird to me because I've grown up helping with VBS and Awana, and now I'm helping with the youth group, and like all of that stuff has just been like right at our fingertips, and it was just eye-opening that they don't have that, and yet they're just they're still motivated. They still they come up with their own stuff to do. They do their own little puppet stuff, and they have their own ideas, and they still make it work even though they don't have the resources that we do, and it's not, I don't know, it's not really the definition of culture shock, but that really hit me. Mm -hmm. But I think it's because I take it for granted because I live here 
and everyone's a Christian in the South. I think that is culture shock. That's when you're coming from the Bible Belt. Aaron, did you have something? Yeah, yeah and I'm. They hit on really on what I was going to say. I think maybe one thing that um, really shook me was um, being able to see people who really live by faith, whereas here we we don't have to live by faith to get what we need. It's all at our fingertips. And um, I got to see people who, you know, if God didn't do something, then it wasn't going to happen. And uh, they just, I I watched people live by faith and it just kind of, kind of woke me up to, you know, my Mm. own life and it really convicting, you know, stabbing the heart Mm. um, just Mm. to, just to see, you know, what it really means to live, or an example anyways of what it means to live by faith and to really lean on God and trust, trust in Him. Yeah, it seems like in other countries when we go, one thing we see is that uh, they're very, very poor a lot of times, but materialism doesn't mean anything to them. It's just their daily sustenance. You know, they can just make a living, and, and so it humbles us to realize all we have, you know. And, um, okay, Jordan, you've been quiet. Now, your perspective is different. And I'm so excited to have you on this group because you give us a completely different perspective, and that's a great thing. So as an MK growing up in, in, in Bolivia, and um, I'm thinking like, okay, he's an MK, Okay, so now today people are going to think you're, an M- you're a missionary. You become a missionary, you know. And is that because you're an MK? Is that, is that the natural trend for missionary kids, first off? I would say no in my experience um, growing up as a missionary kid, but then serving in Guatemala, working with missionary kids, is the majority of missionary kids don't go back to the field and don't do what their parents do. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And a lot of times um, when couples, families go down to the, especially the foreign field, the need is so great and so overwhelming. And the, one of the first things to go is spending time with your family. And um, that's, that can be detrimental. And so uh, a lot of times the, the missionary kids kind of have a bad taste in their mouth for missions, for God and things like that. And so that's kind of a reality that you face there. And um, so for me, growing up, um, it was some of the best times in my life as a missionary kid and some of the hardest times in my life as well because I I see the sacrifice not only for my parents but but for us as a family too. And then when you're on the foreign field, you're the foreigner, and so you stick out, you know, but then you come back to the United States, you don't fit in with the new technology and everything's going on there, so you're kind of the foreigner back in the United States too, and you're trying to fit in. Mm. And so there's those pressures. And so for me, even though it was a great experience, you know, I said to myself, I'm not going back as a missionary. You know, that was, that's great that my parents did that, but I want to be here back in the United States. And, um, and for me, it wasn't until I was challenged to surrender my life to the Lord and say, God, here am I, send me. Whatever you want to do in my life, that's what I want to do. And be careful when you say that prayer because God's going to flip your whole world upside down and he's going to go, all right, the thing that you least thought that you wanted to do, I'm going to make this a desire of your heart that you can't stop thinking about. And so when someone asked me, like, what's your calling? How was your, what was your calling when, you know, you and Hannah and the family went to Guatemala? And I was like, I can't explain it to you theologically or whatever, but it was a desire that God gave to me deep down inside. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was almost like... I was obsessed with that, you know, so every time where I turned, I had 
heard something about missionary kids and helping missionary kids or something in the news came about with Guatemala or Bolivia or something like that. And I couldn't stop thinking about that. And um, so that's kind of like, I would say that going back to that answer is a lot of missionary kids um, don't have a good experience. Also, the ones that do have a good experience and that do return to the mission field, I think, um, in my opinion, those are the missionary kids that their parents help their kids get involved in that ministry as much as possible. So for Josh and Janice and I, we had a good experience, you know, going door to door witnessing, helping physically plant and spiritually planting that church, inviting my friends when I'm playing soccer to come to the Sunday school class. And I was involved, we were involved in that ministry. And so that made it personal to me. I was like, yeah, I'm a little kid, but I'm a missionary too, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that made, uh, it was personal, you know? And so from the students at Christian Academy of Guatemala that I was able to counsel or disciple or help, the ones that were involved in their parents' ministry, those are the ones that even now are going back to the foreign field and, and have um, a greater desire to serve the Lord on the foreign field. Hmm. Okay, so it sounds like what you're saying with your life and your testimony to me is that um, the first prerequisite for any of us considering a trip or a service trip here, you know, ministry team, anything God might be calling us to is a surrendered heart and just an open hands, you know, saying, use me, however you want to use me, old. So that's really good. And so um, I want to go to the cultural thing, and then I have a question kind of back towards that end a little bit. But um, uh, was your culture shock more coming to the U.S. or, or things in Bolivia? How, how did that work? Yeah, I mean, most of my life I've been on the foreign field, so it's more of a shock coming back to the United States. Um, you know, as much as I can remember at eight years old, you know, just, wow, I'm in the, we're thrown into the middle of the jungle. And yeah, so, I mean, Dean, Dean, he buried commandos for Christ. And it was a section of Bolivia over by Brazil. I mean, as dense a jungle as you can, dirt strip. I mean, you, there's hardly, at times you couldn't even travel it so primitive. That's where he took you. Yeah. Right, I mean, just, right off the like bat. The we Navy SEAL he is. <laughs> dive in, brother. Yeah, it's kind of strange growing up with a dad that's an ex-Navy SEAL, you know, that's, right. that's not scared of anything. You know, just treads right in. Um, yeah, so for me, it was, you know, obviously that was like way hotter um, and the food was different and things like that. Uh, also, especially at the beginning, unbeknownst to me, there was a lot of spiritual warfare, and we don't talk about that much here in the United States, but mm-hmm. there was eight witches fasting and praying for our deaths when we first came into this area. And so you felt, even as a kid, a heavy, heavy spiritual, um, almost eerie, you know, what was going on there. So yeah, to, coming back to the United States was probably more of an issue for me, trying to get mm-hmm. used to all the new foods and what was in style and what was not and everything like that. And then in one year, picking back up and going back to a new location in Bolivia. So mm-hmm. probably more back to the United States. I was thinking about, I really wanted just to emphasize this ideal of a call on our, on our life, you know, that God calls us. I mean, he's given us the mandate. And uh, have any of you guys in the ministry or trips or anything, have you, has it always been responsibility looking at the opportunity in your own heart? You know, and you're surrendered, coming to God, I'm open, show me. And I've seen it time and time again in my own life. I'm just wondering, have any of you had any special call to go anywhere? Has it always been opportunity uh, in tandem with responsibility in your own life? 
For me, it, it's, yeah, it's not a special, you're just surrendering your life, like I was saying, you surrender your life to the Lord and say, here, my sin, me, and it's not anything specific. I think God does use your talents and puts a desire in your heart uh, of where he wants you to go. You know, like if I was to do accounting on the mission field, like we'd be bankrupt the first day, you know? <laughs> so, you know, he matches that up, but it's not special. So working with students, teaching, preaching, things like that, that's my talent. So he matches that up, but it's not special. It's just you're just a willing vessel and say, use this broken vessel, whatever you want to do with me. If that's the foreign field, it's local. If it's just staying here and financially and prayerfully supporting these missionaries that are going on the foreign field, uh, so be it. Anyone else? All agree, pretty much? Yep. I think so. Thad, coming back to you a minute, uh, thinking about the mandate in Matthew 28, uh, is that optional? I mean, is the pillar of missions as important as the pillar of the Word of God, or as the pillar of fellowship, or as the pillar of prayer. I mean, if we were, as, a, as leadership in the church, if we were to say, okay, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna preach the Word anymore. The Word, you know, it's heavy, it's convicting, we don't wanna go there anymore, let's just don't do that. But it's a pillar, well, that's okay. Is missions equal to that? Is missions something that we have an option? Is it cafeteria style, we pick and choose from these pillars, or are all of them equally important in God's eyes? Well, all of them are important in God's eyes. I mean, obviously, we get our uh, cues from the Word of God, so you'd have to say that's key in all of that as you think through the pillars of a church, that the, um, the text that we go to is the Word. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that's actually missing in the church today is the Word. And so if, you're, if one of your pillars is not the Word, I mean, we take that for granted here, right? Because every week we're open in the Word, but how many places around the United States this morning are not opening the Word? Hmm. So if you're not opening the Word, then you're not going to talk about missions necessarily. You're not going to understand that it's a mandate from the Lord. Um, you're not going to understand the pillar of prayer or fellowship or any of the others. So, yeah, they're all important. Um, missions is important because when you think about what the Lord did in his own life and ministry, right? I mean, he, he calls these guys and says, hey, um, come fish for men. You've been fishing for fish. Now you're going to fish for men. I mean, if you're one of those guys, you're like, you're going to do what? Right? So um, I think that that, if you look at the scriptures um, and you see the Lord as the one who um, was out front and calling these guys and these guys followed him in their life. And at the end, right before his ascension, he gives them the mandate uh, for missions and, and then is more specific about it in Acts 1, as we talked about in the first hour, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. Um, it's absolutely critical that we embrace him. You know, to embrace a concept is one thing. But to embrace him, that he, he is the one that we're following. He's the one that's given the mandate. And so I think we ought to eliminate the whole, well, I don't know if I'm called or I'm not called. If you're a believer in Christ, guess what? I got good news for you. <laughs> you're called. Mm. He's called you. Mm. Now, to what? I mean, I think that fits under the heading of gifts, in terms of some of us are speakers, some of us teachers, encouragers, but you think about that and how that applies to the foreign field, 
I mean, the gifts are needed on the farm field. Bob and Judy probably could have used a person over there who had the gift of encouragement, right? Who had the gift of giving, the gift of service. So, I mean, I think we have to eliminate this idea that a call is just for a few people, right, within, the Christ, within Christianity. The call is for all who belong to Christ. And the neat part about it is that you guys and myself, that begins with our Jerusalem and extends to the uttermost parts of the world. So um, the pillar of missions, um, very critical. Um, and it's critical here at Grace. I mean, we emphasize it and have for years and years. And um, we will continue to do that. And, and I would just encourage you today, I was thinking through this, that you know, all of us, all myself foremost, I love the way Paul used to teach, myself foremost, right? Mm. Uh, he called himself the chief of sinners. Mm. And so starting with that, that every single one of us would go home today and say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Work through the body to show me what that is. Mm. And you know what? He'll do it. Now, that's the scary part. He's going to do it. I got a quick story. There was a, mm-hmm. a couple in New York State who um, I remember pastor specifically just going right up to him. And he was kind of like David. He was a drill down guy, right? He's got a beeline. He's making it for this couple. Hey, and he didn't say, do you want to go to Belize? He said, you're going to Belize. And, you know, these, these couples, like, we're doing what? I mean, he didn't give them an opportunity to say yes or no, but he planted that seed. And from that seed, this couple not only went one time, but continued to go. Mm. And so um, all of us have that, right? And, and so whether it's local or foreign, um, and I know David's probably going to talk about this, but it starts right here in our Jerusalem. And we need to engage our missionaries here, engage our missionaries around the world. And God's going to open more and more doors for us to do that. Mm. Anyone else want to comment on that before I move? <clears throat> we'll go to Jordan, if not. <clears throat> Jordan, during the education hour, or previous hour, Melinda and uh, some of the, some of the uh, forum were talking about ways that we can encourage our missionaries. And uh, serving on the missions committee, that's a great way to, to engage and learn more about them, what's going on in their lives, to pray for them and read the letters. And uh, she said that was her motivation for joining the committee years ago. And, but also, um, you know, emails. Um, I remember we used to write you guys letters. We would put in there little cassette tapes of our family singing songs or greetings to y'all. Or even, even sometimes we've mailed letters with juicy fruit in it to missionaries. Think, any touch of home. So what did that mean to you, first off, to have gifts from home come to you, and then also uh, to have a, mission, have, a, have a person in the church come visit you and stay with you for a couple of weeks? That meant the world to us. Um, <clears throat> just the encouragement. Uh, being a missionary kid and then an adult, a missionary adult, um, there's not a lot of encouragement, you know, and um, to get just small things like that makes a world of difference there. And um, so I think being personally involved as much as you can, um, going down there, sending packages, um, it just goes a long way and it really makes a difference um, 
to the missionaries, especially on the foreign field. And so um, anything that you can do to be involved is great. Um, I won't name the church, but there was a certain church that was involved with us, and not this church, but um, the uh, deacon, one of the deacons came to me and said, oh, by the way, Jordan, um, I'm, your, I'm your deacon. We have a deacon for each one of the missionaries, and I'm your deacon, just wanted to introduce myself. I was like, great, what does this mean, you know? And that was the last time I ever heard from him. Mm-hmm. And so that really discouraged Hannah and I, because we're like, you know, we thought we were going to get some encouragement with the stuff that we were dealing with, you know, somebody that we could open up to and talk to. Um, and that was the last we heard of them. And so just to, not only when they're here on a furlough or time, you know, to encourage them, but just keep thinking about it. Now with social media, even to the poorest areas, like in Guatemala and Bolivia, they can get social media, you know? And so just to send them a note, a word of encouragement, anything will make a world difference. Mm. Yeah. All right, thank you, Jordan. Um, so I just wanted to make a couple of comments, and I'm going back to a, to a final question probably. One, I've got a couple to close with. Um, some of the hindrances to trips, you know, and being engaged more was fear. We mentioned that earlier this morning. And Emily, you mentioned money. And uh, I just want to encourage you guys that, you know, I always, after that guy put his arm around me, it just blew me away that day. And the way God raised that, the funds for me to go to Bolivia that first trip. And ever since then, this was before I had two pennies to rub together. I mean, I was so poor. And when he did that and the Lord did that, I was like, money should be way down on the list. Put money down. Like if you're thinking about going on a trip or serving in some way and money's going to cost you something, put that way down there. Don't put that as the first thing that hinders you. It's going to be there, but if God wants you to go, he will raise the funds. And the missions committee has a scholarship fund that for a first-time trip, we, we've helped a lot of people in our church to be able to go. So you just apply for that, and, and you can get some assistance. And so we want to help you be able to have that experience. And I just wanted to make mention of that before I forget. But remember this, too, that Satan will do everything he can to, to keep you from being engaged like that because you're growing, you're expressing faith, and you're, you're doing damage to his purposes. So he's going to be, you know, trying to discourage you from, from really taking that step of faith. Hey, David, can I just yeah. say one thing about Go the ahead. hindrance? Um, I was thinking that this is going to sound probably weird to you guys. Um, I think one of the, the, the roadblocks or hurdles is compassion, uh, lack of. I, I know that might sound harsh. I don't mean it to be. But the Lord's had to work that out in me first. But, you know, you remember in, in Matthew 9 where it says that um, uh, he looked at the multitudes and he felt compassion. Um, I got to admit, I mean, I've, I've had times in my life where the compassion, you know, barometer isn't that high. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but... I'm like, I'm doing all right. My family's doing all right. My, I hope you're doing all right, you know. But the reality is that that's why I said what I did a minute ago. If we embrace the Lord, then we'll embrace compassion because he was compassionate. And so I do, I, why that might sound like a, maybe a weird one, I think it can be um, because typically, I think it was said in the first hour, uh, we tend to be pretty selfish creatures. So as long as my world didn't rock too much and I'm doing all right and there's money in the bank and cars to drive, and um, 
I mean, it's almost so difficult for us, right? I mean, because there's so many things that, that, that get our attention. So I, I just believe that that's true, that having that compassion for people. And, and that's, I think a good place to start with that is our neighbors, you know, and start with our neighbors is their compassion for those people that play their music too loud or rev their engine too high or whatever it is, and they're a, it's a nuisance. But, um, but yeah, I think that's a big one, potentially. I think the last question um, would be, uh, we're running out of time, so uh, in Don Hillis' book, it's a little bitty book I came across back in the 70s, it's I Don't Feel Called, Thank the Lord. <laughs> and so that's why I'm trying to drive home a little bit about this idea of being called. We can't sit around in the pew and, you know, in our life and say, well, God's not called me to be a missionary. He's called them to evangelize. He's called them to be a missionary. He's called them, I'll serve in the kitchen. I'll serve. He's called us all. He's called us all to this mandate of missions. And in his book, he says that, and he says this, uh, that from a scriptural viewpoint, we're living in an evangelized nation. Now, some would disagree, but he's not saying we should quit evangelizing here so much and go to the world. He's saying that in America, the gospel is readily available in this country. And um, he lays out a typical mindset of U.S. believers. He says, God has commissioned the church to bring the world to Christ. There are still millions of Americans that have never been brought to Christ. Therefore, is no reason for me to consider an overseas service or engagement. And he says that's faulty reasoning. Um, he said it's faulty because God did not commission the church to bring the world to Christ, but to take Christ to the world. And he is not being taken to the world. He says this, the intent of world evangelization is to give every man, woman, child on planet earth an intelligent opportunity to accept or reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he says, uh, furthermore, we hear it said quite often in the United States um, is just as much a mission field as other countries. And that's true. And even as we're going through these trends of changes, it seems to be moving away, moving more away from the gospel. But it's still a fact that America, um, and they say America has just as many lost people as the world. And that's true. But, but it's the availability. There are billions of people in the world that do not have the gospel available to, available to them. That's why that should be our driving thought and motive in our heart, that there are still millions and billions out there that can't click the radio, that can't look on, on the Google, they can't open a book or a Bible. It's forbidden, you know? And so that, that should really, I think, touch our hearts to think about that. What has been the greatest blessing for you guys uh, while serving on a short-term trip or engaged in missions in our church? That's the final question for us tonight. Anyone? The greatest one for me is like we talked about this morning has, <clears throat> I'm going down to serve other people, you know, to help them out. And really the greatest blessing happened to me. You know, I, God stirred my heart. And, the, and a lot of times these people that had nothing <clears throat> ministered to me and just shook my whole world. And I think that's probably the greatest blessing and to expose myself to the rest of the world and get out of my little comfort zone here in America. Um, and just to see that there's other people that are suffering and that need the Lord and, um, and they're content and they don't have anything. And that's, you know, we're talking about people that have nothing for me in Bolivia. Some of the greatest people, Christians that I've been around is poor 
farmers or shepherds in the Altiplano up at 14, 15,000 feet that was above the tree line. They had nothing. And they're meeting in a, a church that's dirt floors and hard wooden benches. And they're on their face crying out to the Lord on the dirt floor <clears throat> and going to one another as believers and crying and saying, brother, I was coveting your sheep this week and I want to apologize. Please forgive me. I, I, you know, just weeping together, confessing sin together, you know, not just a quick prayer and hurry and let's, okay, the clock is dictating our time, you know, but really cultivating relationships. And that changed me. You know, I'm a grown man and I'll always remember those congregations in Bolivia that really loved one another deeply and had nothing, you know? And I was like, oh man, if I could be there again, if I could be around those people again and experience that again, mm. you know? So that's story. <clears throat> mm. Anyone else? I think for me, it was the um, overcoming the fear. Not that I'm not still afraid. <coughs> like, you still get nervous. But um, when I was younger, I always wanted to have, I always wanted to be brave. That was always a characteristic that I wanted to be able to use to define myself, but I never was. I was super shy. If you had asked me like six years ago to do what I'm doing right now, I probably would have thrown up. Um, I would have panicked, but I, I didn't open up to people really well, but it was just like the fear. And I shared this with college and career last week, and I was thinking about it again this week when I was uh, figuring out what we were going to be talking about today. And um, I realized, and it was around the time I went on my first mission, missions trip or to England, that fear does not mean that you are not afraid. Bravery does not, or bravery does not mean that you are not afraid. Bravery means that you are afraid and that you do it anyway. Bravery means that you step out of that comfort zone and you're, you're stepping into the unknown and you are scared, but you're brave enough to do it anyway. And I apply that to every aspect of my life now and it makes it it's different when you realize you have the creator of the universe who gave his son for you and he's got your back and he's with you always and it makes all of those scary situations whether it be going on a missions trip across the world whether it's talking to a random person at a gas station that you know isn't a believer it makes it a lot easier when you realize that you have God with you always and so I don't know I just y'all need to remember that that bravery is not not being afraid it's being afraid and doing it anyway Okay. And um, would you do it again? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <I think laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, <clears throat> I prayed when I was a young Christian that I wouldn't waste my life. I told Melinda I don't want to be an old man someday thinking I've, you know, wasted my life. And, uh, and I think involvement in missions is something that um, is, is huge. You know, you know you're not wasting your life when you're committed to that, when you're engaging in missions and helping others and serving in that capacity. So we want to thank our, our forum and uh, give them a round of applause and I'll ask them to go down. <clears throat> Very good. We're going to close out with um, um, <clears throat> just a couple of comments and then I'd ask, um, we're going to show a video of the cranks from uh, the Philippines who happen to be visiting today and um, just a few more things and we'll let you go. But um, I do want you to know that the missions committee um, is refocusing on mission trips and trying to get those planned better and out more. 
And uh, we've uh, asked 10 different people in our church to help lead those trips, and both locally and foreign, to come together. Even next week, we're going to have our first meeting uh, tomorrow night, I think it is, to talk about that. So please be in prayer about that. And also just thinking about ways to keep you more informed about our missionaries, more updates, and things like that. So if you have suggestions, uh, take it to Eddie and me, someone, Melinda, someone on the committee, uh, Barry and Lou on there, and uh, Brent and Sharon, just, uh, you know, quite a few of us on there. So uh, come to us and give us some suggestions, and we'd love for you to come to a meeting and check it out and uh, be a part of it. Um, <clears throat> so just in closing, I want to thank again the ladies for the meal they cooked this morning, uh, Barry doing the pancakes and all the work that went on with that. It was great, and we appreciate them doing that. And um, all the ones that, of the forum that came up and, um, and uh, was, um, had time sharing. So, um, you know, we live in a country that has everything in the world to reach the gospel. With the world, with, uh, spread the gospel around the world, I mean. And uh, so we've got all the resources, all the technology, all the amazing technology today. It wouldn't be anything to reach the world for Christ. But we just, you know, we just got to step up and realize it's a priority. So we will pray that that will take place in our hearts and lives. And... Hi, we are the Crank family, your missionaries to the Philippines in Naga City. Naga City is a city of about 200,000 people in southern Luzon, functioning as a business and educational hub for the big whole region of 5 million people. I can comprehend your Naga is a center for Marian worship, with the primary festival bringing in two million people each year to worship a particular statue of Mary. Naga, and the Philippines in general, is also deeply involved in spiritual practices that are either animistic witchcraft or witchcraft disguised as a form of faith healing. ministries we are engaged in is a church planting effort focused on a squatter community of about 150 people living behind a Catholic church that is focused on Marian worship. Another primary focus of ministry is the Beacol Bible College of Leadership, where we both teach and I function as academic dean and write all of the new courses.
supporting this ministry in Naga City. Thank you for your part in making all of this possible. God is glorified by your partnership in the ministry. Um, many of you may have not been to the Philippines, although some of you have spent much more time than we have so far. Uh, but we, we really appreciate what you are already doing to bring the gospel to a very broad set of people in Naga City. We have these cards on the back on the welcome table have our picture of our lovely little Makulit children. And uh, on the back, there's our email address. We would love to hear from you. If you want to get to know a missionary, we'd love to get to know you. Send us an email. We'll stay in contact. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joshua. And uh, your mother just passed away. I just want you to hear us. We'll be in prayer about that for you guys, too. Uh, yeah, they just happened to be here, and, uh, and you were already here when your mother passed away, weren't you? So I'm glad you were here with her then. So uh, we're going to have a word of prayer and let the worship team come up for a, a little bit of time of worship, and George is going to come close the service for us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this morning, Lord, just a reminder of how blessed we are in this country and in this church, Lord, to have so much and uh, to be blessed so richly by you and Lord, uh, enjoying relationship with you daily, but Lord, also to be surrounded by people that love you and, and uh, Lord, desire to make Christ known, to know Christ and to make Christ known in the world. And Father, I thank you for our church leadership and the body here. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, we understand and have embraced that missions is one of the pillars of our church and of the church. And um, Father, I pray that you'll uh, just continue to use us here individually and corporately to advance the gospel through missions around the world. Uh, Lord, give us creative minds and, and the desire and power and just the, the way, Lord, to be able to encourage these missionaries in different ways and to be more engaged in uh, being missional in our thinking and our, in our worldview. Uh, Lord, thank you for the panels this morning and the experiences that were shared. Thank you for uh, all the questions back and forth. And I trust that it's encouraged us and I trust it's challenged us this morning uh, in many ways. And we just uh, commit the worship time to you now in Jesus' name. Well, uh, all that was going on, I kept thinking about the songs we're going to be singing this morning. And, you know, um, the great God of creation, the God who speaks universes into existence, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to do anything. But he chooses us. God's method is men. Just think about that for a minute. The privilege that it is to be involved um, it's not that God needs us. He lets us do it and changes us through it. So as we face this dawning task of, you know, <laughs> making disciples of all nations, it's dawning, and we hear that from missionaries all the time. It's the encouragement is what they need the most of. They really get discouraged. We wanted to focus this morning on the encouragement that God's the one that's doing it. Okay, so let's all stand. Let's sing uh, He Reigns because the fact that He reigns is incredibly encouraging.
It's the song of the forgiven Drowning out the Amazon rain The song of Asian believers Filled with God's holy fire Every tribe, every tongue, every nation The song born of a grateful choir
out with a song that I heard um, just a couple of weeks ago. It's been out for a while, but it's just a really encouraging song. It talks about, you know, the fact that we need to keep our heads lifted up, uh, that we need to keep um, our eyes on the one who's going to finish our faith and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, he's the one doing the work. And uh, so y'all listen to the words as we sing Good Grace.
Let the praise go up as the walls come down. All creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. All his children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace be to God. His name is Jesus. Sweet times like this <laughs> but I, I hope you've enjoyed our, our time today um, we had a wonderful time listening to people who've been there and done many of the things that we talk about and you've heard that uh, they didn't go just oh I tell you, this is going to be great. They went uh, with fear and trembling, just saying, "Lord, I'll go, but you're going to have to make this happen." And we've heard that uh, they went, and God made it happen, and they were able to make an impact in places all around the world. And I've been to some of those places, and so I, when they would talk, I'd say, "Yeah, yeah, boy, that's true." Thad talking about in Belize, uh, I was invited down twice to teach at the Institute, and you're in the jungle, and uh, it's just a carved out hole in the jungle. And as long as it's daylight, you can see. And when it gets dark, uh, they'll run a generator until nine o'clock, and then they cut it off, and then you are absolutely in a black hole. Uh, but you can see the stars, and you can see Venus, Pluto. I mean, you can see a long way. It's, it's dark. But, but I, I was supposed to teach these men the book of Hebrews. And we would meet for three and four hours in the morning. And I'd be exhausted. And they would say, please don't stop. Please don't stop. And these were men who had come to spend the week there. They, they slept. I don't know where they slept. Some of the local missionaries fed them. But that's how hungry they were for the Word of God. And then you say, back home, we're beating our watches against the back of the pew. 
if we're 20 seconds overtime. And I know that we're overtime this morning, but we're, we're going to close. Uh, I was uh, humored by the people who have a fear of flying. I've always loved to fly. Ever since I had my first Demerol pill in the hospital. <laughs> Man, flying is just, just super. I love it. And I've flown in a lot of airplanes all the way to New Zealand and all the way to Japan and to Peru and to Belize and to Ireland. A lot of flying. I don't have a fear of flying. I always had a fear of crashing. Um, but the Lord uh, was good. And as Emily said, remember, he's with us always. So even when you're flying, he's there. And he can protect you and get you where he wants you to go. Uh, somebody said that uh, they used to call the airplane Taka. And I forget what you said about Taka. Take a chance airline. Before Taka, there was Sasa. There was an airline called Sasa, and Glenda and I flew Sasa, and it said, stay at home, stay alive. <laughs> and when you land at the airport there at Belize City, as you're coming down to the runway, you see military installations all the way down the runway, and they're British soldiers who have been stationed there because Belize used to be British Honduras. And they gave them their freedom after they had raped their forests of all the, the, the wood. And they said, you're, you're free. And the Guatemalans said, hey, that ought to be our land. And the Mexicans said, hey, yeah, as long as you leave it alone, we'll leave it alone. But if you take one foot toward the border, we're coming in. And so that military group was supposed to be the presence of the British military so that nothing would ever happen. I talked to one of the military guys and I said, what would happen if Guatemala would make an advancement toward the border? And, and, and the Mexicans would say, well, hey, we're coming in. We're willing to let them be free, but if they're going to be taken over by somebody, it'll be us. He said, well, if either one of them moves, we're going to get in those jump jet harriers and we're going back to England. <laughs> but uh, they've maintained their freedom. And the, the witness of Christ is in the country of Belize. It's an English-speaking country uh, in a Spanish-speaking part of the world. Uh, I enjoy all that everyone has said. And I think the message that the leadership of our church wanted to communicate today by having this special format was that missions is not a church elective. Missions is one of the pillars of our church. And if we don't do missions, uh, we're jeopardizing the, the roof falling in. I mean, this is not optional, it is essential. Matthew 28, which was referred to, that was our marching orders. We're to go make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And we call that plan A. But we ought to call it the only plan, because there is no plan B. This is what we were commissioned to do 2,000 years ago, and this, these are our orders until he comes to take his church home. And so I'm proud and I'm glad that we are a church that makes it important 
to talk about missions, but not just to give it lip service. We invest our resources. We invest our people. We challenge you to get involved. Some of you can go. You can go part-time. You can go full-time. It's amazing how many families in this church are full-time missionaries, but they've come out of this church, and they happen to be here on, on furlough or whatever. And uh, we, we pray that the Lord would raise up our own people who would see uh, or sense a call of God to go and be the hands and feet of Christ uh, in, in that part of the world. And there are so many parts of the world that are still unreached. Uh, I, I have a memory in Japan. I spent a week there, and they assigned me to Hiroshima. They said there's two a young missionary couple in Hiroshima. They're just getting started, and we want you to go and help them. So when I got to Hiroshima, and if you think flying is, is something, you ought to ride those Shinkansen bullet trains, 260 miles an hour through a mountain, and no lights. I mean, they, they just follow the track, I guess. But it's super, super fast. But I got to Hiroshima, and like the humble American, I said, I'm here to serve you. So you tell me what you need me to do. I'll do whatever you want. And I was waiting for him to say, well, could you teach a Bible study here? And could you go out and share the gospel with some people over here? And they said, well, you really mean that? I said, oh, yes, I do. They said, well, the thing that we need most of all, we are struggling to learn the language. And there's so many interruptions. They said, if you would just take care of our home and cook our meals and clean our house, that, that would really help us to focus on learning Japanese. And so they called me uh, Jeevers, the butler. And I cleaned their house for a week. I cooked their meals. They love shrimp. And so I said, well, I love cooking shrimp. They call it ebby. And so we had every kind of shrimp you can imagine. But that's what they wanted me to do, and that's how I served them. And I thought, Lord, it's humbling because, you know, I could, I'd love to teach, but that's not what I was sent there to do. I was sent there to help them better prepare themselves to engage the people because they were there for the long term. And... Uh, Many, many stories like that. But as we close, I just want you to bow your head. And I just want to challenge you just for a moment. You may be here today and you say, well, hey, I'm, I'm involved. I've even gone on summer trips. And I've been a full-time missionary at times and gone places. And we, we thank you for that. You may be here and you say, well, I give. I give regularly financially to support the work of missions through our church and even uh, independently with missionaries that are not supported by the church. Uh, you're here and you're saying, hey, uh, I've been a host. When we have missionaries come and visit, uh, we've had them stay with, with us at our home or we've invited them to our house for a meal and fellowship. We've helped provide you know, food and we thank the Lord for you. Many of you can say, well, I pray. I pray fervently for God to protect the missionaries, uh, to give them effectiveness in their calling of telling people about Christ, 
I pray for their safety and all these things. But maybe you're here tonight, this morning, and you're saying, well, I don't do any of these things. But after hearing uh, the people in the forums, maybe God is challenging your heart that you need to be a part of missions. It's not an elective. Uh, We as a church are committed, but are we committed as individuals? Well, what can I do? Well, you can pray. You can commit yourself to praying. You can say, I'll bring a missionary into my home so that my children can see one close and up front and we can begin to, to learn and develop a special relationship with these people. We can give. We can give uh, whatever we uh, determine that the Lord uh, will allow us to give, but we want to be a part of having the resources so that the church can continue to support missionaries and add others to our support list and be available when special needs arise and we have the monies to help with, with times of crisis, times of special need. Or, Lord, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go on a summer team. Listening to these people, they all came back saying how much they enjoyed it. It's a life-changing experience. For the rest of your life, you'll not only have the memory of going to these places, but you'll be able to see it. And you'll be able to smell it. And you'll be able to hear it. And you'll never forget where you went and the time you spent and the things you did and only eternity will reveal the full impact that was accomplished by your simply being willing to go and others all of us Lord we can all be doing something and in being willing to do something we can say I'm a part of being a missionary-minded church. And collectively, God honors our effort. And all he's asking us to do is be available. He's not asking us to be able. He just wants us to be available. And through the power of the Spirit that dwells in us, he can allow us to accomplish things that we could only dream of. And so I challenge you as we close. Are you a missions-minded believer? Because if you're here at Grace Community Church, we're a missionary-minded church. And we want you to reflect that by being a missionary-minded believer. And to be willing to do whatever it is God challenges you to do. And remember that God never expects his people to do anything that he doesn't empower them to have the ability to do by his, his, his spirit and by his grace. And so, Father, as we close today, we do thank you for the challenge we've had today, the reminder that missions is one of the pillars of our church. It's not an elective. It's a required experience And it would only enrich the lives of people who participate by praying, by hosting, by uh, supplying 
uh, needs of finances uh, by willing to go, whether it be just for a week or for a year or for five years. But we will all benefit. You'll be glorified by Grace Community Church being truly a missions-minded church. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. And I believe we are dismissed.